Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Kaiku Conversations podcast. My name is Alex. I'm one of the co-founders here at Kaiku. Um, and today I'm delighted to be joined uh, by Christian Oldendorf from Amplifier VC, a supply chains and logistics uh, venture capital fund uh, with a global presence. Christian, it's great to have you here. How are you doing? <laughs> doing great, Alex. Thank you very much. And perfect. Well, it's, it's a pleasure to welcome you. And I think this must be the first podcast that we've got focused on supply chain and logistics. So really looking forward to getting into this, especially having a look at the past six months really now and what this means for the future um, during COVID and post-COVID. So, um, Christian, to kick things off, do you want to tell us a little bit more about your background, focus and innovation and really how you got into the VC space? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's um, it's quite a journey. Um, it all starts with... Um with a family background in maritime. It's an industry that I grew up in. Um, uh, at the time in my life, I was fortunate enough to be able to join cargo ships and they fascinate me. It's the sheer, sheer size and, and the marveling at, the, uh, at, at the, the, the things that are being moved around from containers to, to bulk to oil. And um, I, uh, at the time, um, I was wondering what it was that was move, being moved around all these boxes. And no one could tell me in detail. And um, as I grew older and started my studies, I realized that despite being a vital part of a crucial component of the supply chain, shipping was lagging behind when it came to digital transformation and innovation and was uh, little transparency uh, to be had in the sector, only uh, exacerbated what uh, was already a high level of waste and inefficiency industry, which, is, uh, which has to be uh, combated. Here's where I, I, I relayed my software. Software. Um, uh, if you don't like the way it works, it can easily be changed, scaled up, scaled down, uh, adapted to the customer's needs. If there's a better product out there than the one you're using, you can simply switch to that. Uh, with trucks, ships, planes, um, the process of upgrading and uh, innovating is not that simple, not that quick. This is quite the journey, to say the least. I think it's absolutely quite the journey to to take you to take you through as well. But uh, you know, I think as you say, you know, how does a third generation ship owner become a venture capitalist? Is you know, you can you can see the space, the overlap with software, and how this moves as well. So you know, I, I think obviously we've seen a lot of change in the last six months, and we were having a bit of a conversation before, on this before we started. Um, so for you, why why would you, why supply chain, and and how has, how have the opportunities for innovation? change there before COVID and during COVID and I suppose how does that translate into the, the thesis that Amplifier focuses on nowadays? Uh, yeah so the, so the supply chain is is first of all is not very well known but it's a vital part of our existence um, from commerce to food supply and especially during COVID times the delivery of medical equipment most of our daily um, consumables are not produced in the place where they are ultimately consumed it is more likely that these products will need to be transported uh, yet there are many issues with the supply chain that uh, still so unresolved. Products are lost, food, food items uh, go bad before they reach the consumer, and a resynchronized supply chain produces a lot of waste. Um, in the U.S. alone, three billion dollars are lost every year due to trucks idling, and 40% uh, of all containers that are being moved on the road are completely empty. So there's a, there's a space with a lot of yeah. love, uh, a lot of uh, need for 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 innovation to start managing it better. And uh, we believe that software and the combination of software and hardware essentially can solve some of the major problems that come from this, uh, this, uh, from this origin. 
And I suppose following on from that, you know, we can understand the sort of masks of the world. There's been an evolving sort of corporate venture capital, so CVC agenda in the last few years and people breaking more into the space. But, you know, do, do you see much of a trend in terms of more specialized funds coming out of this and investing in supply chain and, and, and sort of larger, I suppose, conglomerate groups there as well? And I suppose from that, how does that make Amplifier certainly unique in that respect? Well, I, uh, I, would, I would take one step back from the CBC side. I, I do believe that innovation um, in the supply chain side is having a bit of a moment, not just due to COVID and the, and the reasons aforementioned, uh, but also because um, there's, a, there's a large part of the, of the business which has, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an entirely large market. The market value alone is worth 9.6 trillion and the supply chain itself creates 600 million jobs worldwide. Um, and uh, at the same time, it generates about 90% of the customers of a of consumer's uh, goods environmental footprint. So just to you know, put that into perspective, I think it might be the largest industry out there at the moment still um, uh. without uh, many people realizing it. Uh, there's a, there's a, uh, it's mostly a very fragmented industry with uh, individuals working um, on, a, on a very tight margin. The innovation culture itself has not historically been quite as strong as in other industries, perhaps because of, of this reason. But in order to differentiate your product as a, as a part of the supply chain, there's a strong need to, to, to invest in innovation, which will bring your customers more transparency, more traceability, uh, especially when it comes to the issue of carbon accounting with the, with the uh, emissions in the, in, the, in the supply chain being quite strong. More and more customers are... Uh, having to include this, if you're a, a Nike or a Coca-Cola, this is a vital part of your of your carbon accounting. Absolutely, and I suppose you know one thing from this is you know more from the, you know both sides really, both from startup investor side, is actually looking at what the barriers are for you know scaling technology across the supply chain and how you know people like amplifier and yourselves can able to sort of get around with this i suppose one way to lead into that is obviously a lot of the backgrounds of shipping companies come from family-owned businesses do you see that as a, as a as a big opportunity or does that slow things down or are we seeing a move away from that as part of the barriers <laughs> to entry yeah i do i do believe that there's that there's a multi you have personal experience in that don't you so. absolutely. Yeah. absolutely i do think that there's that there's several angles to to be covered here if there's a if there's a company who's understood how the innovation roadmap looks like um a large um non-family-led business, you know, perhaps stock-listed with, uh, with the potential uh, to, to raise more equity and uh, a strong, strong innovation culture, will have a quite, an, uh, quite, a, quite a good position when including innovation uh, into its processes, yeah. um, just simply because the, the basics are all there. Um, with family-owned businesses, of course, there's a lot of discussion about the future. I do think that they tend to think more long-term. Yet the question is, how do you plan long term in, a, in, a, in an environment like 2020? There's a lot of change with regards to technology, with regards to policies, trade and globalization are at the, the center of discussions again uh, and uh, have reached politics as well. Um, with, with regards to where we are, uh, there's a, a strong generational element that comes with it. There's a, um, there's a part that has kept the, the, uh, the company steady for a long while. And uh, with regards to future investments, we have to consider uh, our position and have to understand how we can best include um, innovation into our own into our own environment and our own uh, way of working. And some of the value propositions of uh, supply chain startups have become very concrete. You can save fuel, mm. you can save cost, you can save time. 
And these are things that um, that are the core of every development of every company in supply chain at, at all times. Um, the methods have just changed. It used to be adding more complex structures, then uh, there was a chance to outsource quite a bit of work. And now with software, there's a, another wave and potentially uh, more waves to come. And and I suppose a sort of quick follow up to that would be your experience and just not knowledge of how the industry is changing with with governments and port authorities. Do you do you feel that during this time there has been the willingness to to increase and you know scale this process quicker than before when when, when we saw with COVID? Yeah, I, I do believe that that many uh, that many uh, companies were strongly hindered uh, by not being quite sure how quickly they could reopen their factories, not due to policy reasons, but simply through the supply chain. If you're a car yeah. manufacturer and you, you have 99% of the pieces for your car to, to, be, to be finished, that 1% can dictate when the car will actually be, be able to be sold. Um, the, the supply chain itself uh, has uh, performed uh, quite well in my, in my impression. But of course, there are stresses that it still has to undertake that it might still need to find solutions for. I'm talking about uh, the fact that seafarers are still still uh, not able to disembark and go uh, and return to their homes. Yeah. I do believe that there's a, a strong element of food production that still needs to be looked at, especially when winter months will be, will be coming. Um, my, my personal impression is that the stress uh, on the supply chain uh, will still have to, be, have to be properly understood and properly measured in order to plan it better for, a, to, for it, it to be resilient. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I think, as you say, especially on the point of seafarers, we do, you know, as consumers, some a lot of the time take that for granted. And, and we really don't understand how the, the whole process really does operate there from as well. But just, I mean, just shifting back to sort of more on, on, the, on the side for startup founders, you know, there's a huge amount of opportunity, some may say more than more than ever um, to be able to work with large shipping companies. So would you have maybe a few tips in there in terms of actually how they can advance that process with corporations in the logistics industry specifically? Absolutely. I do think that founders of, of, of startups and, uh, and and people who have a better entrepreneurial mindset will find a fruitful and very open environment uh, towards their, their propositions, particularly if um, the innovation departments of larger organizations they will, have, uh, they will be able to make contacts to have ideas bounced off through the conferences I visit and the, and the ecosystem that I, that, that I live in. There are more and more uh, innovation-minded uh, companies. There's more and more personnel that is open to, to involving founders of any age um, out into, their, into their realm to discuss ideas, to, to have them bounce back to uh, some of them with even more support. Um, I do believe that, that there is more and more of an innovation culture in the supply chain now than it was three years ago even. No, absolutely. And, and, and in your opinion, does that for large family owned businesses that are looking at changing their agenda, you know, from another angle, I suppose, in this respect, do you, do you feel that a lot of them can foster that innovation on the inside or they need, you know, some may say third party consultants or people on the outside to be able to give them that, that, that sort of outward looking agenda? Mm-hmm. I think it depends on the complexity of the, of the, of yeah. the proposal. There's some, some items that are, that, are, that could be, uh, could be included in, in, a, in a regular upgrade of, of IT measures. We talk about smart enterprise, which is being, which is easy and easy to adapt. Um, some yeah. measures when it comes to, to transformation of the asset include some hardware installation, and uh, it depends on the attitude of the, of the business towards hardware and software, uh, which, are, which, uh, which might differ quite strongly. When it comes to, to a broader transformation of the hardware, I do believe many businesses are struggling to find the path forward. We're at this crucial moment where we know that 
especially on the emissions side, on the on the side of technological friendliness and environmental friendliness, there are solutions there that aren't quite yet accessible due to high price and still relatively low demand. But you will know that if you own them for if you own them for ten years or fifteen years, they will eventually pay out. But the question is, I think there's there's this tipping point arriving where electrification of vehicles is slowly starting. Um, there's a strong questioning of the airline industry of how it will look uh, five years down the road. Uh, the maritime industry, I can tell you directly, is uh, is struggling with this uh, in, a, in, a, in a major way. New emission requirements in Europe, uh, China and the US have, have moved the shipping industry quite dramatically throughout the last three years. And I do believe that the big piece is only yet to come. The European Union uh, decided that uh, shipping will have to uh, be part of the carbon trading scheme from 2022 onwards. If your uh, assets last uh, 20, 25 years, that is literally tomorrow. So uh, there's a lot of movement here. And and I think that actually brings us on to quite a good point and something that I'm personally quite very interested in learning out more, which is obviously your work with the Towards Net Zero initiative when we talk about carbon emissions and making sure that we track all, all of this as well. Could you sort of give us a little bit more info on, on your work there and how that's sort of happened? Absolutely. Um, the, the, um, the Towards Net Zero initiative is... Um, is a is a quite a personal uh, project uh, of mine. Um, being being part of a maritime family, there's a strong identification with the industry and naturally with the assets that it produces. And um, the the issues that come with it are personal problems um, that want to be direct, addressed directly. Um, there's a large discussion within the industry on how to move forward with regards to 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 introducing new fuels. This is not always easy down to the way the asset is, asset is configured. Many changes would have to be undertaken uh, to an existing asset in order for it to accommodate new fuels. Um, but at the same time, you do see enormous investments into hydrogen and ammonia uh, of, a, of a greener variety on an ongoing fashion. Uh, in order to include this into the maritime industry, we have devised together with the uh, ETH, uh, with the, sorry, with the ETH Zurich, with um, ABB and Equinor with VR technologies, um, a concept for a, for, a, for a container ship whose container stack will partially be used to create energy that will then be fueled towards, a, towards an electric engine to create um, sort of a, a hybrid system. Right. The, the hybrid system is scalable though, that it can start off with diesel if you need to and then move into gas or ammonia or hydrogen as these products become available, as these markets develop. And therefore, you allow yourself to own the asset for 20, 25 years, start off with the fuels available now, and gradually move into the fuels that are, that are more and more accessible and more and more economically viable. Absolutely. And, I mean, the, the big ambition with this, I can, I can imagine without doubt, is obviously to, to, to get this worldwide and get this completely global. Do you see, you know, requiring a lot more sort of stakeholder engagement with key sort of government players in this respect? And I suppose, how are you planning to go on about that? Absolutely. I do believe this is, this is um, the, the ships consume a lot of energy in themselves. I do believe that the demand that, that ships could produce could be detrimental to the development of an industry and should be priced in. Um, the, the way to engage this industry uh, with the wider audience, of course, comes through, uh, through political pressure. And this is, uh, can be applied directly through, through, through the way that, uh, that shipping is targeted or can be applied indirectly through the consumer, through carbon taxation and yep. such. Um, these measures are, are measures I support. I do believe the industry needs a vision of the future uh, and how it can serve its, its community better. This is, would include a lower emission factor. 
And our, our feeling is that this could come about within the next five to 10 years and then develop gradually towards the next, uh, towards the goals of reducing emissions towards uh, 2050. Yeah. And, and I think that probably leads quite well into sort of some more of what we've been seeing over the last six months, specifically with COVID. Do you, I mean, for you, in terms of what you've seen with COVID and how it's affected the supply chain, there's you know much in terms of technology. You know, we've spoken about seafarers, much of the much of the cases that people wouldn't normally think. And I suppose you know, in terms of those changes and and, and looping that in with you know the initiative with, towards net zero, do you think that has made people wake up more in that regard? And are there any other challenges you know surrounding where this is all going now? Yeah, I think it's very hard to predict. To predict, uh, well, we'd love a magic ball, wouldn't but, we, for yeah, <laughs> to see the future? <laughs> but my, my feeling, my feeling is that, that that COVID is one additional problem to all the problems of the world. The um, the issue of, of 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 global warming, climate change, and changing customer demands is not going to go away. My uh, my personal impression is that we do have some time to to move quicker now. The the supply chain has has received more interest in the last. Uh, months and has filled out the last decade and it'll it'll continue to be so in my personal impression with the next year going forward if this momentum can be used to introduce a new way for the supply chain of working we can root out efficiencies uh, that exist by by making the supply chain more uh, traceable and more connect connectable yeah. from the ships to the, to the to the warehouses to the ports to the trucks um, if we can do so some of the uh, some of the congestion could be eased, some of the traffic, traffic could decrease, the costs themselves would, would decrease and the emissions would, uh, would so too. Uh, it's all a matter of coordinate, coordination and um, never has the time been as, as good as now to, to move forward. I mean, is, is it, would you say there's a priority order in terms of technologies within supply chain logistics that are, you know, in line for more funding than others? I mean, you know, evolving autonomous technologies, you know, and that's a whole different question in terms of trying to work out how close we are to that. But would you say there are more, some technologies than others that are being prioritised? I think that's a really interesting discussion to have. We do have it quite a bit, uh, quite a bit in, in the office, quite a bit in our environment through our board. Um, there's a, a good way to to start creating transparency within your business, which would be um, which where where smart enterprise could help you out. But um, when it comes to to uh, to direct applications such as reducing uh, fuel consumption on ships, we do um, have a company called Nautilus Labs, which uh, we invested in um, last year which uh, uses sensory data to reduce uh, um, fuel usage and thereby emissions by five to 8%, right. which is substantial. There's a substantial amount of energy going through these ships. And if you can achieve that, that is already a major bond. When it comes to priorities and investments, I do believe that uh, the future will see a lot of uh, IoT devices yep. that will become quite, quite instrumental in steering the supply chain. Uh, I do see that this will need a technological background backbone, which would more likely be in, in, a, in, a, in a specialized application of quantum computing to steer quite a few of these devices in there uh, as, an, as a synchronized orchestra. Yes. It's an ideal scenario. Um, and meanwhile, um, AI will do quite a bit when it comes to translating languages, uh, you know, putting information together, um, making these, these, these steps between uh, where we are now uh, and where we Learning can from be. the trends. Absolutely. So, so it's. So I wouldn't say there's nothing. There's nothing in the toolbox. There's nothing that's outside the toolbox that we need. All of it is there, and uh, if it's applied correctly to the supply chain, if it can be a scalable solution, um, 
these solutions will be successful. And, and I must ask as a final point, it's probably more of a personal interest. Um, so I may be a bit biased towards this, but blockchain with shipping, blockchain with logistics and supply chain, you know, uh, in terms of how global the, the, the industry is, you, you know, obviously a lot of products will be sourced from countries where it's very hard to manage the paperwork. It's very hard, hard to manage the sources. Is that still an area, would you say, I don't know if the word's contention in terms of in, involving blockchain to this area. Do you see more the technology being accepted and more money going in there as well as a, as a, as a global problem and sort of those trends increasing? There's a there's a large debate about yes. blockchain, <laughs> which is why it makes it interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's um, I would I would say it's very hard to give you to give you a yes or no answer. Blockchain can be an, a fantastic tool uh, when it comes to when it comes to trying to administer processes or develop risk, uh, develop um, develop these uh, these processes. My personal impression is you don't need blockchain to 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 make any advancements when it comes to to uh, to making the supply chain more efficient yeah. there are there are needs out there where supply where blockchain might be might be uh, might be better used but at the moment i, I would say that uh, it, it's a, it's nice to have it's like it's a, it's a tool like any other if you apply the tool in the right way then then you can make fantastic things if you don't uh, find the right use of the tool you might make do more damage than good it's uh, it's it's hard to, to, to bring it down to, to yes or no answer. It's very much that. And that comes into all the due diligence and trying to understand the technology. I'm, I'm certain as well. So, um, yeah. but uh, no, I mean, we could go on forever. And as you say, that's a whole topic in itself. Really, it really, really is. Yeah. But, um, you know, I certainly think we've, you know, we've covered a huge amount here and I've certainly found this very interesting, especially for, you know, I, I feel obviously an, an industry that is so important and an area of VC that is so important, but is probably not often as talked about, especially with how your family sort of business background is changing into this, into this respect at the moment. And, and I always end Christian with guests on, you know, as as a as a founder of a VC yourself, do you have any sort of top tips for uh, for startups approaching you, and you know, in terms of conveying the information, and I suppose, uh, you know, sort of the best practice that you've seen with with successful founders before? I go. I'll come back to your question in a second, Alex. But um, I simply need the end of the podcast. I would like to make uh, make clear again that it's impossible, important to um, to look at seafarers as essential workers. Yes, no, absolutely. That 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 is that uh, covers so many things and delivers uh, the way delivers all the items we need for our daily existence. Um, at the moment, two million seafarers are out in the world stranded because they can't travel back to their home countries. Some of them can't join ships and work, so they they lose a source of income. Some of them can't join the families that might be in crisis. Um, there's a there's a need for governments uh, and uh, governments to wake up and uh, and look at this problem on a consolidated basis and find ways to solve the solution. Um, as a as a as an owner of a company, we do see this every day. That uh, the misery that it brings that uh, ship owners that uh, seafarers are still treated like uh, third class citizens, um, and not being able to 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 have the same rights uh, of uh, of being able to travel home, disembark, uh, get medical treatment in the same way as as the majority of the of the of the rest of the of the, of the world as they would treat health workers, for example. But these are the ones who deliver the. Uh, the equipment and the food stuff and uh, and uh, make sure that our life goes on the way it does i would like to um put my support behind any effort to to bring to bring seafarers home um to your question regarding regarding founders i think that um 
Um, so I ask, could you repeat the question once more? No, absolutely. I and I completely echo those points, and I think we take we take a lot of that. I think as we mentioned earlier, for, for huge grant, for huge granted. I, I usually wrap up uh, you know, Kaiku conversations with asking, uh, as a as a founder of a fund yourself, um, for new innovations coming to you, and and for the best way that you found with successful founders and startups before. Do you have any top tips for for founders approaching you, and and the, and the way to go around it, really? Oof, it's a funny, it's a funny business. I do believe that first of all, you, you need to you need to start off with a strong team. And um, to be quite honest, uh, experience uh, of someone who has already created a company is essential. If you have someone who can who you can bring to your board or or uh, have initial discussions with about uh, creating a company, that's that's very very important. From building a, a good cap table to getting the right partners on board at the right time, HR issues that, that come come along with that. Uh, to also uh, understanding how to best market your product and also the, the several stages of creating a startup. So initial stage with a, with a strong fun and team product focused, then going to the, the sales side, uh, trying to scale the product. These are all uh, different phases that require um, a different set of skills. There's no reason why an individual shouldn't, uh, shouldn't um, come, uh, shouldn't uh, own all these skills to make, to make it through all the stages. Yep. Yet there is a lot, a lot of network that you need. I would say, if I would give one tip to someone who wants to create his own on, on, on startup, you know, build a strong base, uh, have, a, have a team that you can rely on, um, have investors that trust you and that you can whose leverage whose experience you can leverage. Um, these are, are mightily important things that many funds don't see. Um, also, it's a it's a commitment uh, that lasts not just five years, but essentially your entire life. Once you've been self-employed, few people uh, would want to go back from the experience, or even if those who failed will start a second time. And I can only encourage that. If you, if you have gone, gone out there, it didn't work the first time around, the, the experience you gather is essential for creating a valuable company the second time around. Absolutely. And I think that's a very important point to, to finish on, really. Because it's that experience that builds up for the future, and if you you fail once, you'll you'll get it on the second, third, fourth, or if more attempts in that in that yeah. respect. And I think it's happened to, to a lot more of us than people actually know, um, in, in that, and we often forget it. But um, mm. but Christian, it's been a huge pleasure to have you on on the podcast. Um, as I say, I've I've learned a huge amount on this as well. And if for anyone wanting to find more about Amplify, what's the best way to 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 find out information or get in touch? Well, we we have a website amplifylab.io. Uh, there's quite a bit of information on there and the companies we invest in. I do recommend everybody take a look because some of them some are quite fascinating. We do have um, uh, companies out there who create uh, software for autonomous vehicles and robots. We look quite a bit of, uh, at uh, floor performance optimization. We have some very interesting first mile startups out there, which are not uh, very common, but are, are a very fascinating play. Um, do take a look. Uh, on LinkedIn, uh, myself and the team are available. Looking forward to hearing uh, from founders and uh, and creators, and possibly even even those who are looking for ideas for for connections. We're always happy to get in touch. Uh, yeah, and look forward to hearing from all of you. Exactly. Well, Christian, once again, thank you very much. Um, it's been a pleasure. And for anyone who wants to find out any more information about Kaiku and our work, and to see if we may be able to support you, um, we're at www.kaiku, which is k-a-i-k-u.co. And once again, it goes to all the listeners out there for listening. My thanks for being on this one. And we look forward to seeing you on the next Kaiku Conversations podcast.